Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life, from 1946. The studio was RKO Radio Pictures. Release date was December 20th, 1946. The running time, 135 minutes, and of course, it was in black and white. The budget, $3 million, and I don't have the exact total for the box office, but RKO said they lost about a half a million from the film when it was first released. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it four out of four stars. His quick little synopsis is, Sentimental Tale of James Stewart, who works all of his life to make good in a small town, thinking he's failed and trying to end his life. Guardian angel Henry Travers comes to show him his mistake. Only Frank Capra and this cast could pull it off so well. This film seems to improve with age. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 94% fresh from 79 reviews. Their critics' consensus is the holiday classic to define all holiday classics. It's a Wonderful Life is one of the handful of films worth an annual viewing. So as a kid, It's a Wonderful Life was a bit too long for me. Something like A Christmas Story was kind of more my speed. However, as I got older, my appreciation for It's a Wonderful Life grew and grew, just as Leonard Maltin says. And frankly, it is really suited for an older, more mature audience, at least the first two-thirds of the film. As an adult, I absolutely love the film, and its message remains as relevant today as it did 70 years ago. All right, let's get into the main cast. You have James Stewart, who plays George Bailey. And I've covered Stewart's early career because of the Philadelphia Story episode, but it's interesting to show the difference between the golden age of Hollywood and today. Now, could you imagine a Hollywood star or a world-class athlete serving in the military during the peak of their career? But back in World War II and also the Korean conflict, many famous people did. Stewart not only served from 1941 through 45, but he was also one of the first stars to enlist once the USA entered the war and served for the Air Force as a fighter pilot. His first film after serving in the military was It's a Wonderful Life. Sort of fitting, I think. Donna Reed plays Mary, and her career began in the early 1940s, mostly starring in smaller roles, though her beauty led her to be one of the favorite pinup models for the military men during World War II. She continued to get bigger and bigger roles and starring roles, but It's a, it's a Wonderful Life was definitely her big break and would always be her most recognizable movie role. She would later achieve fame starring in the Donna Reed TV show from 1958 through 1966. Lionel Barrymore plays Mr. Potter, and for much younger audiences, the name Barrymore is synonymous with Drew Barrymore, but her lineage goes all the way back to her grandfather John and her uncle Lionel. So Lionel's career began in the early 1900s in silent films. It's a Wonderful Life would be his one of his most famous roles in a very long career, though this was towards the end of his career. By the 1930s, he sort of would get typecast in those grouchy, but usually sweet old man type of roles, like in Grand Hotel and You Can't Take It With You. He also starred in a string of Dr. Kildare films. Henry Travers plays Clarence the Angel, and this would be one of Travers' final films before his retirement in 1949, and like most associated with this movie, this is one of his best-known roles. While Lionel Barrymore was typecast as a grouch, Travers was kind of typecast as the bumbling but lovable old guy just like Clarence. His best-known films prior to It's a Wonderful Life were Mrs. Minerva, Shadow of a Doubt, 
and The Invisible Man. The director, the great Frank Capra, and Capra continues to be one of the most beloved directors in Hollywood history, often creating sentimental masterpieces. So prior to It's a Wonderful Life, his best-known films included It Happened One Night with Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town with Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur, Lost Horizon with Ronald Coleman, You Can't Take It With You with James Stewart and Gene Arthur, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with, again, James Stewart and Gene Arthur. He did love his Gene Arthur. Meet John Doe with Gary Cooper and, guess who, Gene Arthur. (laughs) And Arsenic and Old Lace, of course, with Cary Grant. Just like James Stewart, Capra quit Hollywood to enlist in the Army for World War II at the age of 44. He would serve and direct military films to promote the U.S. war effort. Man, different time. All right, let's get into the making of the film. It's sort of interesting how this is considered a holiday and Christmas movie, but it really has nothing to do with the holidays with the exception of the payoff at the end, which happens to be on Christmas Eve. It's a Wonderful Life was Frank Capra's favorite film that he ever did, as it was the culmination of all of what he was trying to express in his other films. In this case, very dramatically, but very effective. The original premise of It's a Wonderful Life began in 1943, from a short story by Philip Van Dorn Stern called The Greatest Gift, which was meant to just be a Christmas card for 200 of his friends and family. Three months later, RKO bought the rights to the story for $10,000, thinking they would make it into a Christmas movie with Cary Grant. That obviously never came to fruition, and Grant later filmed another Christmas movie, The Bishop's Wife. Three different scripts were adapted from the original short story, but they were all rejected. Frank Capra loved the original story and bought the rights to The Greatest Gift for (laughs) $10,000. Audiences love Capra films for their feel-good nature, while the critics eh, would often label his films as overly sentimental or corny, and the term Capricorn was used to describe his films. Capra, William Wyler, and George Stevens created the production company called Liberty Films to allow creative control for directors. At the time, actors and directors were essentially owned by the studios they worked for. So Liberty Films would try to help change this, and It's a Wonderful Life would be the first film shot for the company. It would eventually be bought by Paramount, and Capra later wrote that the creation of Liberty Films was one, to influence the course of Hollywood films, two, to make four former army officers independently rich, and three, virtually proved fatal to my professional career. Capra didn't mind the criticisms. He enjoyed making films with positive and uplifting messages over critical acclaim, which was unique back then, especially during at the time when the Great Depression was lingering during the heyday of his work. And with It's a Wonderful Life, Capra had the story he wanted. No person is a failure. Every person has a purpose to do something positive in their life. And even if they don't realize it, Maybe they need a wake-up call to prove what they mean to others. Capper always had one person in mind for the part of George Bailey, James Stewart. Again, this was Stewart's first film after leaving the military. Everyone knew the likable Stewart persona on screen, but Capper also knew Stewart could be darker and dramatic when the plot called for it. It was a perfect balance that was necessary for the George Bailey role. Once he got his leading actor, Capper then went to work on revising the script. He took what he felt were the best parts of the three original scripts from RKO and shaped the film to be a Frank Capra-type film with his own ideas. Like he added the Mr. Potter character, kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge. And making sure Bedford Falls was like a real place that many moviegoers would identify with. He then found a number of terrific character actors to fill out the town, which was always the genius of Capra films. Like the Uncle Billy character was perfect for Thomas Mitchell. 
But other actors that were considered for that role were like Walter Brennan and Adolf Manju and W.C. Fields. But it just wouldn't have been the same. They would have been too much of a personality. For Mr. Potter, Capper thought of Claude Rains, Charles Coburn, and Vincent Price. All amazing actors, but nobody could have been more perfectly sinister than Lionel Barrymore. And frankly, who else could have played Clarence the Angel better than Henry Travers? Capra knew he always wanted Travers in the film, but he didn't know which role at first. And he was even considered for the Uncle Billy role and George's father. But ultimately, Travers' obvious charm was finally deemed perfect as Clarence. For the role of Mary, the great Jean Arthur, of course, was considered because she was a favorite of Frank Capra, and mine as well. Plus, Arthur and Stewart, of course, as I mentioned, appeared in many fabulous Capra films together, like You Can't Take It With You and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. However, Arthur was committed to starring in a Broadway show at the time and turned down the role. Olivia de Havilland and Dvorak and Ginger Rogers were also considered after Jean Arthur for the role of Mary. However, Capra always had great casting instincts and found a rising young actress in Donna Reed, who truly became the perfect actress to play Mary. Reed had that unique balance of being sweet and wholesome, but sexy all in one. In many ways, Mary is the glue to George's wonderful life. She is strong and loving, and in the end, she's the one who really saves George, even more than Clarence. So while today's movies basically have no filters whatsoever, and that's not necessarily a good thing, it was exactly the opposite in 1945 with the production code. So words like nuts to you, impotent, dang, <laughs> lousy, and jerk were all removed from the script because they were deemed too racy at the time. What the hell? <laughs> that would have been edited too. So at the time, the set for Bedford Falls was the longest set constructed for a motion picture. It was shot in Encino, California. It was over 300 yards long, three city blocks, 75 stores, and buildings. It covered four acres. For the winter scenes, the special effects crew used 3,000 tons of shaved ice, 300 tons of gypsum, 300 tons of plaster, and 6,000 gallons of fomite, soap, and water. Crazy enough, all the winter scenes were actually shot in a record-breaking heat wave at the time in the summer of 1946. All right, let's get into the film. So the film begins with the opening title credits, as was common for early films. For It's a Wonderful Life, the cast is displayed as pages turned from a book-like album. The movie opens with the voices of various people from the small town of Bedford Falls saying their prayers for George Bailey, James Stewart, who is a much-beloved owner of a small building and loan in town. The various prayers are heard by a few angels up in heaven who decide to give a challenge to a prospect looking to receive his wings named Clarence Henry Travers. I owe everything to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. Joseph, Jesus, and Mary, help my friend, Mr. Bailey. Help my son, George, tonight. He never thinks about himself, God. That's why he's in trouble. George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. I love him, dear Lord. Watch over him tonight. Please, God. Something's the matter with Daddy. Please bring Daddy back. I love him, Watch over him tonight. Hello, Joseph. Trouble? Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey? Yes, tonight's his crucial night, you're right. 
We'll have to send someone down immediately. Whose turn is it? That's why I came to see you, sir. It's a clockmaker's turn again. Oh, Clarence hasn't got his wings yet, has he? We've passed him up right along. Because, you know, sir, he's got the IQ of a rabbit. Yes, but he's got the faith of a child. Simple. Joseph, send for Clarence. You sent for me, sir? Yes, Clarence. A man down on Earth needs our help. Splendid. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. At exactly 10.45 p.m. Earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Then I've only an hour to dress. What are they wearing now? You will spend that hour getting acquainted with George Bailey. Sir, if I should accomplish this mission, I mean, uh, might I perhaps win my wings? I've been waiting for over 200 years now, sir, and people are beginning to talk. What's that book you've got there? Oh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Clarence, you do a good job with George Bailey, and you'll get your wings. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Poor George. Sit down. Sit down? What do we... If you're going to help a man, you want to know something about him, don't you? Well, naturally, of course well, I... keep your eyes open. See the town? Where? I, I don't see a thing. Oh, I forgot. You haven't got your wings yet. Clarence has shown a quip of George Bailey's life when he was 12 years old. This is a pivotal part of George's life as his little brother Harry accidentally falls into the river while snow sledding. George instinctively jumps into the freezing water to save Harry from drowning and ends up losing the hearing in his left ear from the rescue due to getting an infection in the ear. So even though George is now deaf in one ear, he recovers from his flu and goes back to work as a counter clerk at a local drugstore owned by a man named Mr. Gower, who's played by H.B. Warner. You see two young girls who like George, Mary and Violet, at the counter of the drugstore. They will come into the story a bit later as George grows up. Mary especially has a major crust on George and whispers in his bad ear that she will love him until the day he dies. So the normally kind-hearted Mr. Gower is in a terrible mood this particular day and yells at George for no apparent reason. George is confused but then notices a telegram that informs Mr. Gower that his son died that morning from the flu. George tries to be of assistance to the distraught Mr. Gower and offers to make a delivery for him. However, George notices that Mr. Gower inadvertently put poison capsules instead of medicine into the delivery box. Unsure what to do, George races to his father's office to talk to him. When George goes to meet with his father, he finds him in a meeting with a very cantankerous Mr. Potter, who is demanding he be paid for that month's dues. Mr. Potter essentially owns the town, and George's father is a kind-hearted man who understands that times are tough all over, and he's lenient to his residents of the town who might be behind on their payments of their mortgages. Mr. Potter has absolutely no empathy towards anyone but himself. I'm not crying, Mr. Potter. Well, you're begging. That's a whole lot of words. Well, all I'm asking for is 30 days more. Pa. Just a minute, son. Just 30 short days. I'll dig up that 5,000 somehow. Shut me up. Shut me up. Pa. Did you minute. put any real pressure on these people of yours to pay those mortgages? Times are bad, Mr. Potter. A lot of these people are out of work. Well, foreclosed. I can't do that. These families have children. Pa. They're not my children. But they're somebody's children, Mr. Potter. 
Are you running a business or a charity war? Well, all right. Not but... with my money. Mr. Potter, what makes you such a hard-skulled character? You have no family, no children. You can't begin to spend all the money you've got. Oh, I suppose I should give it to miserable failures like you and that idiot brother of yours to spend for me. He's not a failure. You George, can't say George. that about my father. George, George, You're George. not. You're the biggest man in town. Run along. Bigger than him. Run along. Bigger than everybody. Don't let him say that about you, Pop. All right, son. All right. Thanks. I'll talk to you tonight. George goes back to the drugstore to an irate Mr. Gower who receives a call from the customer who hasn't received their medicine that George was supposed to deliver. What? Why, that medicine should have been there an hour ago. It'll be over in five minutes for the Where is Miss Blaine's voice of capsules? Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. I... What kind of tricks you play anyway? What? What way you right into the living room right away? Don't you know that boy's very sick? Hey, Rudy, my sore here. You lazy loafer. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're really me. You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. <laughs> Just look and see what you did. Look at the bottle you took the bottle from. It's poison, I tell you, it's poison. I know you feel bad. Oh. Don't hurt my story again. Oh, no, Don't no, hurt no, my no. story again. Oh, George. George. Oh, Mr. Gower, I would never tell anyone. I know you're feeling. I would have felt so good to die, I would. That last scene is really powerful. The kind-hearted George was just trying to protect Mr. Gower, and in turn he gets smacked and has blood pouring out of his bad ear. However, as the scene was meant to do, it displayed the character of George at a young age. He wasn't afraid to stand up to someone like Mr. Potter, and he wasn't afraid from defending and protecting a friend who was down on their luck. We then fast forward about 10 years, and George is planning traveling around the world before going to college, and he's given a present of a new new suitcase by Mr. Gower. While walking around town, George runs into a now very grown-up and beautiful Violet, played by Gloria Graham, who is still boy-crazy as ever. George has dreams of designing buildings and planning city layouts after college. However, George's father would like to see the family business of the building and loan continue, of course with George taking over for him. George appreciates his father's sentiments, but he has dreams of his own. George's father is a truly decent man who believes he's helping the town realize their dreams of owning a home of their own. Place, Hope you have a good trip, George. Uncle Billy and I are going to miss you. Oh, miss you too, Pop. What's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with Potter today. Uh-oh. I thought when we put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up on us a little bit. Well, what's eating that old money-grubbing buzzard anyway? Oh, he's a sick man. Frustrated, sick in his mind, sick in his soul, if he has one. He hates everybody that has anything that he can't have. Hates us mostly, I guess. Gangway, gangway. So long, Pop. So long. Oh, you got a match? Very funny, very funny. Put those things in the car and I'll get your time studs ready for you. Now hurry up. Okay, Mom. You coming later? You coming later, George? What do you mean? I'd be bored to death? Couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. We're going to use that new floor tonight, too. Oh, hope it works. No gin tonight, son. Oh, Pop, just a little? No, son, not one drop. Uh... Boys and girls and music. Why do they need gin? Well... Did I act like that when I graduated from high school? Yeah, pretty much. You know, George, I wish we could send Harry to college with you. Your mother and I talked it over half the night. Mm. We have that all figured out. You see, Harry will take my job in the building alone, work there for four years, and then he'll go. 
Hmm. Pretty young for that job. Oh, no younger than I was. Well, you were born older, George. How's that? I say you were born older. I suppose you've decided what you want to do when you get out of college. Oh, well, you know what I've always talked about. Build things. Design new buildings, plan modern cities. Hmm. All that stuff I've been Still talking about. Still after that first million before you're 30, huh? No, I'll sell for half that in cash. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's just a hope, but... Uh, you wouldn't consider coming back to the building alone, would you? Well, I... I... Well, Annie, why, why don't you draw up a chair? Then you'd be more comfortable and you could hear everything that's going on. I would if I thought I'd hear anything worth listening to. You would. I know it's soon to talk about it. No, no, Pop, I... I couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. The, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Pop. I didn't mean that. I, but I, it, it's this business of nickels and dimes and spending all your life trying to figure out how to save three cents and like the pipe. I go crazy. I, I want to do something big and something important. You know, George, I feel that in a small way we're doing something important. It's satisfying a fundamental urge. It's deep in the race for a man to want his own roof and walls and fireplace. And we're helping him get those things in our shabby little office. I know, Pop. I, I know that. I, I, I wish I felt that uh, I, I've been hoarding pennies like a miser here in order to... Most of my friends have already finished college. I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. You're right, son. You see what I mean, don't you, Pop? This town is no place for any man unless he's willing to crawl to Potter. Now, you've got talent, son. I've seen it. You get yourself an education and get out of here. Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a great guy. Why, did you hear that, Annie? I heard it's about time one of you lunkheads said it. <laughs> I'm going to miss old Annie. Pop, I think I'll get dressed and go over to Harry's party. Have a good time. George heads to Harry's graduation party and runs into Mary, Donna Reed, who is not as flirtatious as Violet, but she's much sweeter and in many ways much more beautiful. George lost touch with Mary since they were kids, and now he's seeing her grown up and is now very smitten with her. In a memorable scene, Mary and George participate in a dance contest, and a few pranksters decide to open up the dance floor, which just happens to have a swimming pool underneath. The oblivious George and Mary both fall backwards into the pool after believing the people were cheering them on for their dancing. The rest of the dancers decide to jump in the pool after them in a celebration. It's a great scene. By the way, the guy who pulled the prank of moving the dance floor to expose the pool underneath is the same actor who played Alfalfa in the classic Our Gang films. After the party, George walks Mary home, and they stop at an abandoned warehouse that Mary loves. They both throw rocks at the windows and make their wishes. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know, and then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were well, you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? 
Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? tonight can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What do you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, no. tell me. If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? How is that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Hey. So, fun trivia fact. Capra originally had other rock throwers ready to fire rocks at the house for Donna Reed. However, Reed said that she could easily do what was required, and she had a baseball background herself and actually threw the rocks better than anyone on set. Unfortunately, the fun with Mary ends quickly as George's uncle, Billy, Thomas Mitchell, drives by and says that George needs to rush home because his father has suffered a stroke. We then cut to George sitting with the board of directors at the building in Wone. George canceled his European trip to get the fares in order for the business and is now going off to college after his father's death. However, Mr. Potter decides to act like himself during the meeting, which is a cold-hearted bastard. George can't stand it, and he lets Potter have it. Need you for George. I know you're anxious to make a train. Oh, I have a taxi waiting downstairs. I want the board to know that George gave up his trip to Europe to help straighten things out here these past few months. Good luck to your school, George. Now we come to the real purpose of this meeting: to appoint a successor to our dear friend Peter Bailey. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to get to my real purpose. Wait just a minute now. Wait for what? I claim this institution is not necessary to this town. Therefore, Mr. Chairman, I make a motion to dissolve this institution and turn its assets and liabilities over to the receiver. What are you, dirty, considerable? I'll read this next time. George, did you hear what happened? It's too soon after Peter Bailey's death to talk about chloroforming the building and loan. Peter Bailey died three months ago. I second Mr. Potter's motion. Very well. In that case, I'll ask the two executive officers to withdraw. But before you go, I'm sure the whole board wishes to express its deep sorrow at the passing of Peter Bailey. Thank you. It was his faith and devotion that are responsible for this organization. I'll go further than that. I'll say that to the public, Peter Bailey was the building in law. Oh, that's fine, Potter, coming from you, considering that you probably drove him to his grave. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. That's what killed him. Oh, I don't mean any disrespect to him, God rest his soul. He was a man of high ideals so-called. But ideals without common sense can ruin this town. <laughs> now, you take this loan here to Ernie Bishop. You know, that fellow that sits around all day on his brains in his taxi, you know. I happen to know the bank turned down this loan. But he comes here, and we're building him a house worth $5,000. Why? Well, I handled that, Mr. Potter. You have all the papers there, his salary, insurance. I can personally vouch for his character. Friend of yours? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. You see, if you shoot pool with some employee here, you can come and borrow money. <laughs> what does that get us? 
a discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute, just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Right. Here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they... What'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait? Wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I... You're the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on. That last scene is brilliant because, of course, you believe that Jimmy Stewart is truly a noble person and that Lionel Barrymore acts perfectly despicable as the villain. The acting is just top-notch in this film. George's passionate speech convinced the board not to sell it to Potter, but on one condition. George must be the executive to replace his father. George's college dream and his future dreams are now over, but deep down he knows he's doing the right thing, just like his father tried to tell him during their dinner conversation the night he died. Part of the reason this film resonates with folks, besides the brilliant acting, is the story is really timeless. Most of us have dreams when we're younger, and it's always important to have dreams to strive for. But then there's reality, and reality is the single most reason for dreams getting squashed. It doesn't mean that because you didn't achieve your early dreams that your life isn't fulfilling. The path is just a little bit different. And that path can be just as rewarding, even if it isn't the original plan. George is truly like his father, as he gives his college tuition to his brother Harry for him to go to college. Harry becomes a football star in college, and George kept the business afloat the best he could, hoping that Harry would return from college after he graduated and would then take over for George so that George could fulfill his own dreams of being an engineer. So Harry returns to town with a surprise. He's now married. And to add to the surprise, his father-in-law has set him up with a job at his glass factory as a researcher. Yes, George is stuck in Bedford Falls for good, it seems. Harry, to his credit, doesn't immediately accept the job. But George is always looking out for everyone but himself, and he tells Harry he can't turn down the job. While the Bailey family is ecstatic for Harry and his new wife, George is a bit depressed that his plans have yet again been scrapped. He never seems to get a break. But he finds out that Mary has returned to town from college and goes to visit her at her mother's house, though he's in a bit of a sour mood. What are you doing? Picketing? Oh, Mary. I just happened to be passing by. 
Yes, so I noticed. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned and said you were on your way over to pay me a visit. My mother just called you? Well, how'd she know? Didn't you tell her? I didn't tell anybody. I just went for a walk. I happened to be passing by here. That's... What, what are you... Uh... Went for a walk, that's all. I'll be downstairs, Mother. All right, dear. Well, are you coming in or aren't you? Well, I'll come in for a minute. But I, I... I... I didn't tell anybody I was coming over here, you know. When'd you get back? Tuesday. Let's get that dress. I thought you would go back to New York like Sam and Angie and the rest of them. Oh, oh, I worked there a couple of vacations, but I don't know. I, I guess I was homesick. Homesick? For Bedford Falls? Yes. My family and everything. Would you like to sit down? All right, for a minute. I, I still can't understand it, though. You know, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. Would you rather leave? No, I don't want to be rude. Well, then, sit down. What's that? Some joke, huh? Well, see, it still smells like pine needles around here. Thank you. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I... Nice about your brother Harry and Ruth, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about. Her. No, no, marriage is all right for Harry and Marty and Sam and you. Mary, Mary, who's down there with you? It's George Bailey, Mother. George Bailey? What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? Not a thing. I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You tell him to go right back home. And don't you leave the house either. Sam Wainwright promised to call you from New York tonight. What's your mother made? You know, I, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? I don't know. You tell me. You're supposed to be the one that has all the answers. You tell me. Why don't you go home? That's where I'm going. I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Mary, Mary. The telephone is Sam. I'll get it. Whatever were you doing, it's pretty here. Come out tonight, come out Mary, he's waiting. Hello? Forgot my hat. Hee-haw! 
Oh, hello, Sam. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Gee, it's good to hear your voice again. Oh, well, that's awfully sweet of you, Sam. There's an old friend of yours here, George Bailey. You mean old Mossback George? <laughs> yes, old Mossback George. Well, just a minute. I'll call him George. He doesn't want to speak to George, you idiot. He does so. He asked for him. George. George, Sam wants to speak to you. Hi, Sam. Well, George Bailiofsky. Hey, a fine pal you are. What are you trying to do, steal my girl? Oh, well, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, here, here's Marion. Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to talk to here, you. Mother's on the extension. We I am not. We can both hear. Come here. We're, we're listening, Sam. Well, look, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, do you remember that night in Martini's bar when uh, you told me you'd read someplace about making plastics out of soybeans? Chili beans. <laughs> you remember out of chili, out of soybeans. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, 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 soybeans, yeah. Well, listen. Dad snapped up the idea, and he's going to build a factory outside of Rochester. How do you like that? Rochester? Well, why Rochester? Well, why not? Can you think of anything better? Well, I don't know. Just why not right here? You remember that uh, that old tool and machinery works? Well, you tell your father you can get that for a song, and all the labor he wants, too. Half the town was thrown out of work when they closed down. Money, yeah. Well, a little. Well, now listen. I want you to put every cent you've got into our stock, do you hear? And George, I may have a job for you. That is, unless you're still married to that broken down building and loan. <laughs> well, this is the biggest thing since radio, and I'm letting you in on the ground floor. Oh, Mary. Mary. Well, uh, uh, I'm here. Uh, will you tell that guy I'm giving him the chance of a lifetime, do you hear? The chance of a lifetime. He says it's the chance of a lifetime. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any ground floors, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... Oh, Mary. George, George, George. It's tough to tell from just the audio, but George is truly in love with Mary, but obviously conflicted with his life as nothing has ever gone as planned for him. So much to the dismay of her mother, Mary and George get married. Things are looking up for the newlyweds as they have $2,000 saved up from their honeymoon and looking to start fresh with a terrific trip to New York and then Bermuda. However, good timing has never been in sync with George Bailey. And just as he and Mary head out of town, they notice a large crowd converging on the building and loan. This is at the height of the Great Depression, and there is now a run on the banks, which means many of the customers at once are withdrawing their funds, which could cause the bank to potentially go out of business if they run out of cash. So instead of just going on his honeymoon, George, as the responsible executive he is, opens a bank and uses his own savings from his honeymoon to cover the withdrawals for the customers. 
George has again done the decent and responsible thing for the community at the cost of his own dreams. All right, so the reason the building and loan was low on funds was due to the main bank, where the business had their mortgage, well, they called their loan. And Uncle Billy had to give them all the cash to pay that off. That is why George used his own savings to stay in business. Plus, Potter decided to call during the madness to gloat and also offer his funds to assist. But what he was really doing is to hang it over George's head. And frankly, in times of crisis, who else would you want than James Stewart? Now, just remember that this thing isn't as black as it appeared. I have some news for you, folks. I was just talking to old man Potter, and he's guaranteed cash payments to the bank. The bank's going to reopen next week. But, George, I got my money here. Did he guarantee this place? Well, no, Charlie. I didn't even ask him. We don't need Potter over here. And I'll take mine now. No, but you're, you're... You're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. The, the money's not here. Well, your money's in Joe's house. That's right next to yours. And in the Kennedy house, and Mrs. Maitland's house, and a hundred others. Uh, you're lending them the money to build, and then they're going to pay it back to you as best they can. Now, what are you going to do, foreclose on them? I got $242 in here, and $242 isn't going to break anybody. Okay, Tom. All right. Here you are. You sign this. You get your money in 60 days. For 60 days? Well, now, that's what you agreed to when you bought your shares. Tom, Tom, Tom did you get your money? No. Well, I did. Old man Potter will pay 50 cents on the dollar for every share you've got. 50 cents on the dollar? Yes, cash. Well, what do you say? No, Tom, you have to stick to your original agreement. Now, give us 60 days on this. Okay, thing. Randall. Are you going to Potter's? Better to get half than nothing. Tom! Tom! Randall, now, Randall, wait. Now, wait. Now, listen. Now, listen to me. I, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple, because we're cutting in on his business, that's why. And because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments? Well, you didn't lose your house, did you? You think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling, Potter's buying. And why? Because we're panicky and he's not, that's why. He's picking up some bargain. Now, we, we can get through this thing, all right. We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I got Dr. Bills to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have... How much do you need? Hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over to the bank reopens. I'll take $242. There you are. That'll close my account. Your account's still here. That's a loan. Okay. All right, Ed. Well, I got $300 here, George. All right, now, Ed, what'll it take until the bank opens? What, what do you need? Well, I, I suppose... Twenty dollars? Twenty dollars. Now you're talking. Right. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right. Now, Miss Thompson, how much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. Don't mind about that. How much do you want well, now? I can get along with twenty, all right. Twenty dollars. Fine. And I'll sign there the papers. You don't have to sign anything. I know you. You pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Well, could I have seventeen fifty? 
That's your heart. Of course you can have it. You got 50 cents? Seven. We're going to make it, George. Six. It'll never close us up today. Five, four, three, two, one. Bingo! We made it, Commodore. You said we made it. Look, look, we're still in business. We've still got two bucks left. Well, look, let's have some of that. Let's celebrate. <laughs> well, I don't know about you. I'd vote for George Bailey or James Stewart for president in a heartbeat. But I digress. This film is just timeless. Look what's going on today with people hoarding items they don't need just out of fear. In the last clip, the first guy absolutely had to take out all of his money of George's bank, though he really didn't have to. The rest of the folks were reasonable and understood they could survive with less and not to panic. All right, some fun trivia. The woman who asked for $17.50 was improv by the actress who was told by Capra to surprise James Stewart. Stewart, in turn, improved his reaction by kissing the woman. Pure magic. So George and the building and loan survive the run, and they don't need to shut their doors. That night, Mary surprises George by giving an alternate honeymoon gift. Mary bought the old rundown house they, they used to throw rocks at when they were kids. The house that Mary always wanted. So we fast forward a few years later, and George has developed a successful affordable housing community named Bailey Park. These are much nicer homes at a decent price, as opposed to the broken-down homes owned by Potter that are much more expensive in price. George's original vision and dream of building are starting to come to fruition, and it's pissing off Potter since he wants to own everything. The reason Bailey Park is a nicer community is because George's business isn't profiting off the misery of his community like Potter is doing. George is essentially breaking even, but he's doing more for society as a whole compared to the bottom-line profits of Potter. Quite a cigar, Mr. Potter. You like it? I'll send you a box. Well, I... Uh, I suppose I'll find out sooner or later, but just what exactly do you want to see me about? <laughs> oh, George, now that's just what I like so much about you. <clears throat> George... I am an old man, and most people hate me, but I don't like them either, so that makes it all even. You know just as well as I do that I run practically everything in this town, but the Bailey building alone. You know also that for a number of years I've been trying to get control of it, or kill it, but I haven't been able to do it. You have been stopping me. In fact, you have beaten me, George. And as anyone in this county can tell you, that takes some doing. Now, take during the Depression, for instance. You and I were the only ones that kept our heads. You saved the building and loan. I saved all the rest. Yes, well, most people say you stole all the rest. The envious ones say that, George. The suckers. Now, I have stated my side very frankly. Now, let's look at your side. Young man, 27, 28, married, making, say, 40 a week. 45. Oh, 45. 45. Out of which, after supporting your mother and paying your bills, you're able to keep, say, 10 if you skimp. A child or two comes along and you won't even be able to save the 10. Now, if this young man at 28 was a common, ordinary yokel, I say he was doing fine. But George Bailey is not a common, ordinary yokel. He is an intelligent, smart, ambitious young man who hates his job, 
who hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. A young man who's been dying to get out on his own ever since he was born. A young man, the smartest one in the crowd, mind you. A young man who has to sit by and watch his friends go places because he's trapped. Yes, sir, trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a correct picture? Or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point? The point is, I want to hire you. Hire me? Yeah, I want you to manage my affairs, run my properties. George, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town? Buying your wife a lot of fine clothes? A couple of business trips to New York a year? Maybe once in a while, Europe? You wouldn't mind that, would you, George? Would I? You're not talking to somebody else around here, are you? You know, th this is me. You remember me? George Bailey. George Bailey. <laughs> George Bailey, whose ship has just come in. Provided he has enough brains to climb aboard. Confounded man, are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three years contract at $20,000 a year starting today. Is it a deal or isn't it? Well, Mr. Plunder, I, I... I know I ought to jump at the chance, but I... I just, uh... I, I wonder if it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, then... In the meantime, I'll draw up the papers. All right, sir. Okay, George. Okay, Mr. Potter. All right. Oh. Oh, no. Now, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer's no, no. Doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You... And that goes for you, too. And it goes for you, too. But George is human, of course, and he was tempted by Potter's offer. Who wouldn't be? But that brief temptation was quickly brushed aside for the integrity that George has always lived by. If he took Potter's offer, he couldn't live with himself and he knows that. Plus, he'd be letting down the entire community who respects and loves him. At the end of the day, all you have is your own personal integrity, something money can't buy. George and Mary continue to make Bedford Falls a decent place to live in the future years. They're raising a family which has four kids and slowly but surely remodel their house. However, years of doing the right thing for the community has really worn on George. His battles against Potter and never being able to truly fulfill his original dreams has beaten him down. He's not the same upbeat person he was when he was younger. But without him even realizing it, he was doing more for society than he could have ever dreamed. He couldn't enlist in the military during World War II due to his bad ear, while his brother was a decorated fighter pilot, eventually winning the Medal of Honor. 
However, George kept the community at home thriving by doing the everyday tasks necessary to keep the town's economy going, along with the drives to help the war effort. These efforts were every bit as important as physically fighting on the battlefield. Without people like George, soldiers wouldn't have a city to come back to. It's truly a team effort. The day George's brother Harry is set to return home after receiving his Medal of Honor, George's world comes crashing down, as his scatterbrained Uncle Billy accidentally loses the deposit money at Potter's Bank, which was a whopping $8,000. As it turns out, Billy saw Potter enter the bank, and with Potter holding a newspaper that had a front-page headline touting Billy's nephew. Billy gloats to Potter, but inadvertently puts the envelope full of cash in the newspaper and hands it back to Potter. Billy, of course, doesn't realize this and frantically searches for the envelope full of cash. Without this money, the building and loan is unable to stand up to an audit from the bank examiner, who just happens to be reviewing the records at the time. Potter knows he's got the building and loans by the balls, because he's got the $8,000 envelope and doesn't say a word about it. George and Billy search everywhere for the money, but to no avail. George, as you can imagine, is furious and loses it on Billy. If they don't find the money, there will be a scandal that will ruin the Baileys. George returns home and takes his frustration out on Mary and the kids, but never explains what's really wrong. Must she keep playing that? I have to practice it for the party tonight, Daddy. Mom said we could stay up till midnight and sing Christmas carols. Can you sing, Daddy? Better hurry and shave. The families will be here soon. Family? I I don't want the families over here. Come on out in the kitchen with me while I finish dinner. Scoop me! Have a hectic day? Oh, yeah. Another big red-letter day for the Baileys. Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burp. All right, tell me you're excused. Now go on upstairs and see if little Zuzu wants anything. Zuzu? Well, what's the matter with Zuzu? Oh, she's got a cold. She's in bed. Caught it coming home from school. They gave her a flower for a prize, and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What, is it sore throat or what? Just the cold. The doctor says it's not The doctor? Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. Said it's nothing to worry Is she about. running at temperature? What is this? Just a TC-199.6. She'll be all right. Of course, it's this old house. I, I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. The drafty old barn of a place. Might well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, Troy. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell frankincense? I don't know. If I ask your mother. Where are you going? Going up to see Zeus. You told me to ride a plea for tomorrow. Come Hello? Yes, this is Mrs. Bailey. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. The doctor said that she ought to be out of bed in time to have her Christmas dinner. Is that Zuzu's teacher? Yes. Let me see. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Welch. This is George Bailey. I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half-naked? You realize she'll probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? George. Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have, teacher, have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people that send our kids home without any clothes on? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's stupid. Hey, hello, Mrs. Welch. I, I want to apologize. Hello? Hello? She's hung up. I'll hang her up. 
What is that? Hello, who's this? Oh, Mr. Welch. Okay, that's fine, Mr. Welch. Give me a chance to tell you what I really think of your wife. George, Will you George. get out and let me handle this? Hello. Hello, what? Oh, you will, huh? Okay, Mr. Welsh, anytime you think you're man enough, you... Hello? Any... Uh... Dad, how do you spell hallelujah? How should I know? What do you think I am, a dictionary? Tommy, stop that, stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now, stop it, stop it! Go on, I told you to practice. Now go on, play. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you... Mary. Bed for 247, please. Is Daddy in trouble? Yes, Pete. Shall I pray for him? Yes, Janie, pray very hard. Me too? You too, Tommy. Hello? Uncle Billy? Desperate, George goes to Potter begging for a loan, not realizing that Potter's got his money the entire time. Potter, like the despicable person he is, is basking in the misery of George's misfortune. I'm in trouble, Mr. Potter. I need help. Through some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today... I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up to, from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too, who's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. <laughs> What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir. No, sir. I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why did you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. Here, <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> well, what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bonds? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. 
$15,000 policy. Yes, uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? And you asked me to lend you $8,000? Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have $8,000? You know why? Because they'd run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here. As a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. <laughs> Desperate, Potter's words run through George's thoughts of being worth more dead than alive due to his life insurance. George decides that he must kill himself to save his family. So interestingly enough, and this might be the reason the film didn't initially do particularly well at the box office. The story is very sad in many ways about a man who never catches a break, even though he always does the right thing. And also, it's at this point, with the movie two-thirds of the way complete, that the most memorable moments actually do occur. And I'm not sure audiences were ready for this complicated of a buildup before the amazing payoff. Look, I'm sure most people know the outcome of this story. If you don't, I implore you to just watch the film because it's truly a special and wonderful film. No pun intended. However, it wouldn't be right not to include the rest of the film because it's truly memorable. So I warn you, if you don't want the rest to be spoiled, stop listening now and watch the movie and then listen to the rest of the episode. All right, you've been warned. So George is sitting at a local bar at a restaurant. Everyone is concerned about George because he looks desperate and distraught. Things, you know, really can't get any worse for him. But it does, as the husband of the school teacher that he yelled at on the phone just happened to be sitting next to him at the bar, and he punches George, busting his lip open. George is officially now at rock bottom, and he decides to jump off a bridge and commit suicide. It is now that everyone's favorite angel-to-be enters the picture, Clarence. Clarence decides to save George by jumping in the river himself. George hears a man yelling for help and jumps in to save him. The two end up drying out in the bridge operator's booth. I didn't have time to get some stylish underwear. Wife gave me this on my last birthday. <laughs> I passed away in it. Oh, Tom Sawyer's drying out too. You should read the new book Mark Twain's writing now. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? You're... To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Well, where do you come from? Heaven. I had to work quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. 
Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 Georgia. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2, what, what, what's that, AS2? Angel, second class. Cheerio, my good man. you say just a minute ago? Why'd you want to save me? That's what I was sent down for. I'm your guardian angel. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money. Eight thousand dollars. Yeah, now, think, just things like that. Now, how do you know that? I told you I'm your guardian angel. I know everything about you. Well, you look about like the kind of an angel I'd get. Sort of a fallen angel, aren't you? What happened to your wings? I haven't worn my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Uh, I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. Only one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do oh, you? Oh, no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I keep forgetting it. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, tut, tut, tut. Uh, <laughs> I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. And my... Look, little fella, why you go off and haunt somebody else, will no, you? No, now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, right? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. What'd you say? You've never been born. You don't exist. You haven't a care in the world. No worries, no obligations, no $8,000 to get, no potter looking for you with a sheriff. Say something else in that ear. Sure, you can hear out of it. What's well, a doggone thing? I haven't heard anything out of that ear since I was a kid. Must be that jump in that cold water. Your lips stop bleeding too, George. What do you know about that? 
what's happened. It stopped snowing out here, doesn't it? Well, I, uh, what's happened here? What I need is a couple of good stiff drinks. How about you, Angel? You want a drink? <laughs> I, uh, Come on, as soon as these clothes of ours are dry. The clothes are dry. I wouldn't know about that. Still is hotter than I thought. Come on, get your clothes on. We'll stroll up to my car and get... Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'll stroll. You fly. I can't fly. I haven't got my wings. You haven't got your wings. That's right. In many ways, it's at this point of the story that is definitely a nod to A Christmas Carol, as Clarence acts as the gross to Christmas past, present, and future all wrapped up in one. He shows George how the town and the lives of everyone he made better would have changed for the worse if he had never been born. If you think about it, George's brother would have died in the lake. Mr. Gower would become an ex-con and a drunk because he would have poisoned the kid without the young George stopping the tragedy. Mary would be alone with no family. Potter would have taken over the town, making it a horrible place to live instead of the wonderful community that the Baileys created. Essentially, Clarence scares George straight and makes him realize that even though his childhood dreams never panned out, he truly had a wonderful life that he never appreciated until now. It's funny, and it took me years to realize this, but the cop and the cab driver are named Bert and Ernie. It's a total coincidence about Sesame Street. So I would say that the one part that doesn't hold up as well today is that the movie suggests, and it's of the era, I suppose, that it's horrible that Mary never ended up getting married or had children. Like, that's such an awful thing. However, it's a different era, like I said. It's not enough to ruin the film in the slightest. It's just an interesting difference in times. So we go back to the movie, and Clarence does his job, and George realizes that he was a fool to think the world was better off if he had never been born or if he killed himself. Clarence! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Clarence, please! Please! I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals! Zuzu... There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas! Merry! Merry! Yay! Yay! Hello, Bedford Falls! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, George! Merry Christmas, George! Merry 
jail. Go on home. They're waiting for you. <laughs> instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Stop. Oh. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright.
in a blizzard. Oh, Harry, we're off Mr. to New York. Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> Final 10 minutes is simply movie magic and cinematic history. Even if people that don't remember the film, they remember those last 10 minutes. After years of never having things go his way and always helping others over his own needs, his friends stepped up to help him when he needed them the most. And while some feel that the ending is heavy-hearted, I find the ending to be perfect and necessary, and I wish more people lived their real lives the same way. So I guess the community pool of cash in the film is, I guess, like today's crowdfunding. However, online crowdfunding just doesn't feel as loving as the ending of this film. But hey, be good to others ultimately is the message. And like Clarence wrote in the copy of Tom Sawyer that he leaves George, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings. Love, Clarence. All right, some fun facts. As I've said earlier, the film wasn't a smash hit when it was first released, even though it received many Oscar nominations. Part of the reason was due to the extremely poor weather on the East Coast when the film was released in late December of 1946. People didn't go out to the theater as much that particular season and instead listened to the radio. Also, as I mentioned, the film is a bit dark and depressing through the majority of the film, frankly, until the end, and people wanted a lighter-toned film for the holiday season. Everyone involved moved on with their careers, and for many years, the film was sort of forgotten. But it was the advent of television and its popularity that really gave life to the film. In the early 1970s, the copyright on the film expired. It could have been renewed for another 30 years, but it was overlooked, and it went into public domain, meaning that anyone could show the film and TV stations started to play it constantly throughout the country and never had to pay royalties to the studio. A whole new generation of audiences discovered the film, and it became a holiday tradition to watch the film. And frankly, it's sort of fitting that the eventual popularity of the film matches the plot of the film to a T. An underappreciated gem of a person who has finally shown his worth after years of not realizing it. And even though Frank Capper didn't get rich from the film, just like George Bailey, it touched the lives of millions of people and continues to this day. Of all the letters Frank Capper received over his film, the biggest gripe from the fans was that Mr. Potter never received any sort of punishment over stealing the misplaced $8,000 from Uncle Billy. And what I would say to that is, 
Potter actually did have punishment in the life he led. He had no friends, he had no respect, and nobody cared about him. So in turn, he got the punishment he deserved by living out his life the way he did. So there's a funny scene when a drunk Uncle Billy staggers home after a party at his sister's house. When he goes off screen, you hear a giant crashing noise and where we assume Uncle Billy fell over something. In reality, this was actually a crew member accidentally dropping a number of props. <laughs> Capper loved the happy accident and gave the guy a $10 bonus for the magic it turned into. All right, if you've never seen the film, I implore you to see it. It's just truly a masterpiece. And the brilliance of Frank Capra in the story and, and, and terrific acting. And if you've never heard it, we have a Lux Radio Theater adaptation for March 10th, 1947 that you can listen to as well. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greeting from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown, and simple luxuries like Lux soap were abundant. I won't say that's the only reason people said it's a wonderful life, but I do know from the thousands of letters in our files that most of them said it's a wonderful soap. And they keep right on saying it day after day. In fact, the popularity of Lux Soap is what makes it possible to present such entertainment as Frank Capra's great production, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun wanted to see the world, the wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, uh, I'm really going down to Earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., Earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. 
Sir, if, uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book. Excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George has had a bad ear. All that icy water, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Well, you good for nothing. Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore I'll ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you used this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Poison? Don't hurt my sore again, Mr. Poison. Gower. Oh, George. That's why George. I didn't deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before college. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Well, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls, except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? Well, I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you know. Hey, say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand. Could have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, hey, I got a hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. Oh, no, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan and work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, no, no Pop, I... I... I, I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I, I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I, I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. 
In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I, I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... <laughs> You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in. Yeah, maybe it will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo girl, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo girl, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Oh, hot dog. Oh, boy, just like an organ. At least. Hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will. How old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, no, no. It's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey, look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I got to throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers 100 stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey, hey, Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay, the moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it, and, and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know. And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair, and the... the uh, you, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Well, hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want to... George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? what? George, had... get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building alone had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Oh, you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Hold on, Mr. Potter. Hold on. I meant no disrespect, George, but... Oh, wait a minute, there. Why my father ever started this cheap penny-ante building and loan, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. 
Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Well, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Will you get out of here, George? You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business. We're still in business. But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even... I know George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she's, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm-hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How do you... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh-huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? George, is that you out there? Oh, oh, hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carla? I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well? Well, all right, I'll come in for a minute, but I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You, you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you, you get back? Tuesday. Mm. Where'd you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. Well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, 
just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry and Sam Wainwright and you. And... For Sam? Harry? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing. And I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... You know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Okay, the way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. Doggone crazy song. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Old Mossback George? Old Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Now, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take the... No, no, here. no. Wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. He says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. I am not. We can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? that's that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans, yeah. Yeah, soybeans, yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George, see? And now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime, do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George. Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary. George. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. So George Bailey and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, since George, I... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there at the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the no, station. No, wait a minute. Well, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins, looking very smart to me, I say. Well, thank you, Mr. Keeley. You know, after seeing Paulette Goddard's wardrobe, 
For Paramount's new comedy, Suddenly It's Spring, I just had to rush out and buy something new. Looking at all those lovely clothes was just too much for my self-control. Well, you look stunning, Libby. Oh, thank you again, Mr. Keeley. Now, tell me about the picture. I understand that Paulette's portrayal of an ex-whack is truly delightful. Oh, yes, it is. And Fred McMurray gives a perfect characterization of her wayward husband. Between the two of them, suddenly it's spring as a high-spirited comedy with emphasis on the romantic side. Well, naturally. <laughs> but really, Mr. Keeley, that wardrobe of Miss Goddard certainly will make clothes-conscious girls sit up and take notice. I'll bet you think so, too, Mr. Kennedy. Well, Libby, men seldom know much about styles. What I notice about a dress is the general effect when a woman wears it. Some girls always seem to have that right-on-the-beam look. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think what you have in mind, Mr. Kennedy, is good grooming. Screen stars certainly put great emphasis on it. A perfect hairdo, fresh, beautifully cared-for skin. Those are essentials. That must be the reason Lux Toilet Soap continues to be a studio standby, no matter how often other styles change. Well, that's what Miss Goddard told me. She says her beauty facials are so quick and easy and work so well. She's never without a supply of Lux Toilet Soap. I can depend on it for daily complexion care, she said. I wish you'd tell the ladies in our audience how easy these Lux Soap facials are, Libby. Well, here's what Paulette Goddard does. She says, I cover my face with the fragrant Lux Soap lather and work it well in. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and use a soft towel to pat my skin dry. Gives skin quick new beauty, she says. Daily Lux Soap facials do make skin lovelier. Recent tests by skin specialists proved it. In, in three out of four cases, complexions became softer and smoother in, in just a short time. A lovely Lux complexion makes a woman so attractive. I wish every girl who hasn't tried Lux toilet soap would begin using it tomorrow. That's sound advice, Libby. When nine out of ten screen stars recommend a beauty soap, you know it has to be good. So why not try Lux toilet soap, Hollywood's own complexion soap? We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Act two of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their savings. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open until 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Stop 
Now, you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Oh, wait a minute now. Let me tell you. Let me tell you your money's in people's houses, in the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do, foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now, let me have it. All right. All right, Charlie. Now, you'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Yeah, well, yes. Old man is taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. He's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. We've still got some money. Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen. Just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by on oh, $20, I suppose. Now oh, you're talking. Now, you're Mrs. Thompson, how about $20 you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20. Uncle Billy, pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace. Quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left. Hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife. Mrs. Bailey. Miss Bailey. That's my wife. That's my... Give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary. Listen, Mary. I'm sorry. I... I... Hmm? Come home. What home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure. All right. Sure. I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George. Sit down, Lou. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and lawn. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and lawn almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but, but what about the building and loan? Confound it, man. I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no. The answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother me. <laughs> 
George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon. And I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. You're, you be, hey, Mary, Mary, you mean you're on the nest? Well, Mary had a baby, Clarence, a boy. You don't say. Then she had another one, a girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE day, he wept and prayed. On VJ day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment, wanting to die. Well, sir, well... Well, today's the day before Christmas, uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly! Useless! Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? Well, going to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Go. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter. Well, you know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was just about... Well, well, Mr. Henry F. Potter come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Got to make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace. Deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, wh what's that? You want to make a deposit? Well, certainly I want Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence. Terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositor. George, what, what are we going to do? We've traced every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe, 
Maybe. Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now try and think. I can't think anymore. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? I have to practice for the Christmas party, Daddy. What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, now, what do you mean? What's see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What, is, what do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. This is old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why did we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welch? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you'll probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? Cut it off! Stop it! George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry. Mary... I, I, I just got to get out of here. That's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your account, eh? Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus. If you still want the building and loan, I... You say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home... Oh, I come more. to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy. Mm-hmm. What's your equity in it? $500. And you want 8000 you once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the I... district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out. <laughs> all the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where is George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God. Oh, God, dear Father in heaven, I... I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if... if you're up there... And, and you can hear me. Please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I... Show me the way to God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel a good. Bailey, 
You say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey, George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough she slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You got to borrow. You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right, I'm. Mr. Bailey, you you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. Please don't go away, Mr. Bailey. Please don't go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! George! Just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they're content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook. I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work. But it's fun, too. You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan? Yes, a native New Yorker. Mm, I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood. Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand. Mm-hmm, Yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her, were in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. Just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. It wasn't long before I discovered that she's as keen about Lux toilet soap for beauty care as I am. You know... I'm a Lux girl, too. We're glad to hear you say that, Miss Blanchard, because that's a very beautiful Lux complexion I see before me. Just right for blue eyes and ash blonde hair. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Any girl in pictures is delighted to find out about Lux toilet soap as a beauty care. Active lather facials are so quick and easy, and they really make a difference in your skin. Thousands of busy, attractive women have discovered that, Miss Blanchard. Daily Lux Soap Complexion Care does make skin lovelier. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the choice of nine out of ten screen stars. Lux Toilet Soap is all around beauty care for me. I use it as a bath soap, too. It has such delightful perfume, leaves a lovely fragrance on the skin. Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. I hope our audience will be seeing that lovely Lux complexion of yours in a screen close-up one of these days. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley. Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Numb with despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. Help! Help! I'm drowning! Help! Help! No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes Georgian after him. Hmm. 
It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper's shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. You... You what, mister? Hmm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. <laughs> where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very funny. Very your, funny. your lip's bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. <laughs> oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. What's, that, what's the AS2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why do you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel, second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. (laughs) Oh, tut, tut, tut. Of course, I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for you... Yes, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you've got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're, well, uh, you're nobody. That's the doggondest thing I ever saw, that that ear. Your lips stopped bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey, what's what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink, that's what I need. What what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, come I... on. We'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Clothes are dry, George. Hey, this, so they are. That's funny. Well, look, let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martini's and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. No. That's right. I forgot that. I can. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly, huh? 
What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what? I just love some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, no, come on, you. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, He's two double scotch. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. Oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little thing. Then why should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, Don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. How old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get. Where's Martini? Will you stop asking about Martini? Ain't here any. Hey, you. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You. You buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rumhead spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Well, get up, George. Good thing he threw us in the snowbank, huh? Now, where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. What do you mean I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. following him. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie, I, I don't know what's happened. I'm going crazy or something. I got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid, don't you? Have seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you... We, we built it for you, didn't we? Bud. My wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie, okay, okay, just step on it. Get me home. 
Zozo! Zozo, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife, no children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that See, I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! biting him. George, run. My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help! Joseph! Joseph! Where'd they go, Ernie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry. The library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me, Mary. Please, help me. Help me. Where, where are kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. Help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! Clarence. Oh, where is he, Joseph? Where is George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him. Mama. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Clarence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, but the mob... Oh, don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now, hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? 
Is that you down there, George? Now get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, what the I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on. George. George, Bert. Bert, do you know me? No, yeah. I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert. Bert. I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Uh, and where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is. Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert. Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert? We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? What are the, these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've got a little paper here. I'm sorry. I, I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey! Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, yeah. Daddy? Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah! George! George, darling! It's Mommy! Mommy's home! Mary! George, where have you been? Mary, oh, George, oh Mary, George. Now, look, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't... The FBI, the National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh, yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Oh, you... What is it? Can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now, keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people I hear, lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look. Just look. Uncle Billy. Money, George. A laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary. I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Oh, gosh, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as hey, I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Good old acquaintance. Daddy, my Christmas bell. You didn't forget. Forget? Here, honey. Here's your bell. Daddy. Charlie, what's this on the table here? What is this for? <laughs> The, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Lord, there's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is Welsh says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence. Had a boy, Clarence. Happy landing.
It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight. From Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing, uh, Bill. <laughs> you were in Texas for the premiere of this picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty All good down there in Texas. Texas, Texas yeah. Jimmy? Yeah, every one of them. There are five premieres over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. takes that many to <laughs> do it. Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes, how about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, Master of Arts? Well, I don't, it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied. <laughs> well, you know, Donna has an honorary degree to her credit, too. L.L.C. What's that, Bill? L.L.C.? Well, you can see for yourself. A lovely Lux complexion. Well, thank you, Bill. Or rather, thank Lux Toilet Soap. It's a wonderful complexion care. I use it faithfully. With wonderful results, I see. Uh, what's happening next Monday night on Lux, Bill? Next week, we have another of the season's most successful films. It's 20th Century Fox's thrilling screen hit, Leave Her to Heaven, with lovely Jean Tierney, and a star who appears in answer to literally hundreds of requests, Cornell Wilde. Best, based on the best-selling novel of the same name... Leave Her to Heaven is the strange, dramatic story of a woman whose twisted mind and fiendish jealousy drive her to any lengths to hold the man she loves. Now that ought to make great listening, Bill. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Good night. night. Good, Good night, night, and thanks a million. <laughs> Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Leave Her to Heaven. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used patch, kitchen pets to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of pets is still desperately short, and every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen fats. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Del Ruth's production, It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Lever to Heaven with Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde. When you bake and fry, fry, or your cake and pie, fry, it's your shortening by Reliance Fry. Want fried foods crisp, golden, better tasting? Try Spry, the pure vegetable shortening that gives you delicious, better tasting fried foods. So digestible, too, the Spry way. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Be sure to listen in again next Monday night to hear the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Lieber to Heaven. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcast. Come hang out and chill with Brian Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.